Hey guys, how are we doing? It's Jawad with the Apex Podcast. Thank you for joining me again on a special week. Special because we had some world champions crowned over the weekend. Um, you kind of knew it was going to happen with F1, MotoGP as well. It was all wrapped up and everything. So guess what I'm going to be talking about today? Yep, world champions and world championships not that I don't always, but you know, like there's going to be a bit of reflection um, on this week's episode, especially for Lewis Hamilton uh, matching Michael Schumacher's record of seven world titles. You knew it was coming. It was a matter of time. And now that it's here, what's the feeling like, you know, and it's been interesting reading comments throughout the week and um, reading what people have written and stuff like that, just general commentary about what they feel and how they feel, and you know, I'm sure most of it is valid, some of it sounds like, uh, okay, (laughs) don't know what to say about that really, without causing some kind of, um, some kind of a fight, (laughs) I was going to say something else, but, um, I forgot, I don't really swear on this, on this show, I've I've tried my best to avoid it, otherwise I'd just be slanging off, I think, um, every couple of seconds, you know, I do have a bit of a filthy, filthy mouth when it comes to talking in person sometimes, but, you know, it's, it's good practice to try and talk normally. Anyway, so yeah, Lewis Hamilton matching Michael Schumacher, give some reflection on that. Turkish Grand Prix was, you know, excellent over the weekend. It was just, you know, a lot of people Drivers-wise, you know, they didn't like it because the low-grip surface, it's saying, oh, it's not really indicative of where the cars are at, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was unsafe, but that's what the fans wanted, you know, so we got an entertaining race. We had some different drivers at the front qualifying in the wet conditions, and of course, in the race as well, it was kind of so many narratives happening, and then in the end, I think it was a deserved win for Lewis Hamilton, and then, yeah, later on, I'll get on to MotoGP as well, talk about Valencia, the title being sealed by Juan Mir, you know, um, not a name I would have picked for the championship at the start of the year, even if Marc Marquez didn't go down um, in the opening race, uh, firmly would have thought, you know, someone like a Fabio Quattararo, Maverick Vinales would be up there, Andrea De Vizioso, but got none of that this year, and um, we had Juan Mir, so great result there, and I'll talk about that right at the end, but first, going back to the Turkish Grand Prix, and you might have to excuse me, I might kind of drift off at points in this episode, I'm, I'm very exhausted, recording this one a little bit later than I would in the day, I had a nice little dip in the water out at the beach um, uh, about an hour ago, so enjoyed that, of course, you know, COVID safe and everything, wore my mask, and except for when I went into the water, because only a psycho would wear it in the water, um, so yeah, first time since February, I think I've been in the, um, the bay water, so it was very nice, and uh, Felt very refreshing. Speaking of wet and wild, we had a wild and wet race there at Turkey. The whole weekend was just from the get-go, you know, Friday practice, seeing the order all over the place. Mercedes weren't quickest in the dry. Um, The low-grip surface really wreaking havoc and no one really getting um, to grips with these tyres. And then Saturday, it's raining, you know, raining through qualifying. Had a mixed session quite a few grid penalties as well when you look at the McLaren guys 
um, yellow flag infringement, stuff like that. George Russell was due to start from the back of the grid anyway with a power unit penalty. Um, Lance Stroll, who ended up on pole position. Yes, Lance Stroll, pole position. And credit to Lance, he is pretty good in these kind of changeable conditions. You know, if you think back to... Um, is it him I'm thinking about, or Valtteri Bottas getting pole, not pole, sorry, starting on the front row in Canada in the wet. It might have been Bottas, but Stroll as well has had a front row start, I think, when he was in the Williams. Um, I'm not sure if it was in changeable conditions, but, you know, he can pull those laps out of the bag and qualifying, and, you know, given all the crap that's been being said, you know, and some of it, I'll admit, comes comes from me too, um, on this show about Stroll and his form, you know, it was kind of a good little response for the critics, but unfortunately in the race it didn't, it didn't go that way, um, Hamilton down in P6, he qualified and still won the race, sealed his seventh title, so this is kind of how it all went, so, Stroll pole position led away from his teammate Perez. Everyone else kind of struggled. You know, you saw uh, Max Verstappen get swallowed up there. Daniel Ricciardo got swallowed up there at the start as well. Lost quite a few positions. Um, Sebastian Vettel, though, qualified in 11th and shot his way up to third. So that was like, what? Did, did, did Vettel just do that? You know, where's that been all season kind of thing? So a bit of vintage form there from Seb, you know, you not really attribute him with overtaking as much. So he got a really good start. He was, you know, in a good position for the whole race. Mercedes, you know, they weren't up there at the start. You know, they had to kind of work their way into the race. Bottas just well, not Mercedes, I should say. I should say Hamilton was able to work his way into the race later on. For Valtteri Bottas, though, I know mathematically he had the chance to keep the title fight going if he wasn't outscored or if he outscored Lewis by seven or more points. But getting caught on lap one, you know, spin, being spun round, or actually he didn't spin, he didn't get spin round. He kind of did a sympathy spin when Esteban Ocon spinned at the start, and then that was pretty much the story of Bottas's day, a bit of Spinala action going on, um, even though Mattia Bonotto wasn't actually there this weekend, and it was kind of cheeky from Seb at the end of the race to say, oh yeah, you know, we, we had a good weekend because Binotto wasn't around, so um, I just think of, you know, what uh, the Redditors would be saying about that, of course, but um, yeah, for Bottas, it was just a dreadful, dreadful day, uh, spinning around so many times, and just couldn't have any response. I mean, I think at one point we saw Bottas uh, lapped by his teammate who wasn't supposed to win that race, but he still did. He just pulled it out of the hat, and um, Bottas finishing down in 14th uh, with no points at the end of the day. So forced to lick his wounds again, and I think um, I'm going to do a proper post-mortem on the championship rivals or the perceived championship rivals that came into this season with the hopes that if... They could beat Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, um, and yeah, there will be a bit on Bottas, I'm sure. So, going back to the top, we had the strategy trigger pulled by Ferrari, let's say, on lap 7. Um, Leclerc down in third, battling over 13th with a bunch of guys. He pulled out of that battle and went on to the intermediate tyre. They all started on the wets, and um, quickly we got indication that, yeah, you know, it's time to switch over to the inters. Track, there was no more... <coughs> There was new 
don't sound like that. There was no more rain, even though there was a, you know, on the radar, it said, oh, there might be a few more showers or whatever, but no rain really came later on. Um, so what happened was the intermediate tyres, they kind of got better as time went on. You know, they degraded to the point that they were slicks basically so like bold intermediate tires so uh, the worn down slick intermediates I think somebody said even as well so a lot of drivers got the benefit of staying on those tires later on in the race once they did make the switch so Sebastian early in the race he was able to keep Max Verstappen at bay it was some good work we were seeing from Vettel there and we hadn't seen that all season I really liked his helmet too over the weekend with the um uh, like inclusivity design, he had the uh, pride rainbow running down as a stripe where he normally has the German flag on his helmet and then just, you know, um, group of people as well, you know, the m- certain minorities who get discriminated upon or, you know, vilified and all that. So all about inclusivity, Seb, and I think he's, uh, you know, while he doesn't have a social media presence, you know, as great as Hamilton does, or if if any at all, I think he's, you know, he's not on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or, any, or anything, he's very much, you know, of the same message, you know, about um, we race as one and uh, all the, all the anti-racism uh, and everything that Lewis is doing, Seb is all behind that too, so it's good to see that with that helmet he was able to put out a good message, so he was able to keep Max at bay, who Max wouldn't have been very happy at all through the weekend, especially as they, you know, had the golden opportunity to um, win a race this weekend, beat Mercedes, and it kind of all fell by the wayside. So he kept Max at bay going into the first round of pit stops, but then by the virtual safety car that we had on lap 14 for Antonio Giovinazzi, um, which I'll go back, come back to a bit later as well, talking about Alfa Romeo, um, the Red Bull got ahead. So it allowed Max to start hunting down the racing point cars ahead. And, you know, we thought that Max had the pace early on, but ended up having a bit of a spin chasing uh, Perez, who was in second at the time. So there was an early second stop for Max. It was lap 19, you know, he flat spotted those tyres. So then he pretty much was out of contention, you know, it would have taken more rain or another, uh, a safety car or something to put him back in. And that's the amazing thing, that there was no safety cars um and it was kind of unreal that in a race that was so hectic and had, you know, weather impact and everything, they're on wet tyres, intermediate tyres, there was no safety car at all apart from that virtual safety car, which was pretty brief as well. So, you know, good credit, you know, credit to the guys for doing a good job, keeping clean out there. Max, you know, having another spectacular spin like he did in Brazil um, a few years ago. But, uh, you know, his race was pretty much ruined from there. Um, but it did kind of trigger that second phase of the race where drivers were thinking about, you know, doing a second pit stop or whatever. Some drivers did, some drivers didn't, you know, like Perez and Hamilton didn't. Um, they were benefiting more from those slick intermediate tyres, you know, with bald intermediate tyre, uh, because there was parts of the track that were dry, others that weren't, so they kind of had, you know, the best of both worlds, whereas you had other drivers go for the second stop, like the Ferrari guys, Lance Stroll did, 
out of the lead of the race too so he was leading all the way up until lap 37 and uh, the team reacted to what Ferrari did and then because he couldn't get those tyres working and they were you know full-on intermediates he plummeted down the order while you had Hamilton now take the lead of the race given that he was nowhere before and Checo staying in second as well, staying on those old intermediate tyres. So, you know, for for Hamilton, i got to say, great, great decision, executive decision to stay on the 50-lap the old tyres, you know, going all the way to the end of the race, you know, 50 laps on inters. I don't think anyone could do that unless you're playing on F1 video game or whatever. But it just um, showed the hallmark of a championship drive, you know, and that's what, you know, Hamilton does. He pulls these amazing drives out of the out of the blue and can win. Because he, you know, ultimately, he would just have to have made sure Bottas didn't outscore him by seven or eight points this weekend, and he would have still been champion. But then to come back and win in the way he did, I think it's like, you look at all the legends, you look at, you know, Schumacher, Senna, they would have put in those kind of heroic drives to be able to win and win in such a um such a good fashion and he dominated at the end I think it was 30 seconds ahead of the uh rest of the crowd so there you go like just to rub it in a little bit more so the final place of the podium kind of came down to the final lap and actually it was the final corner with um Perez in second you had Vettel and Leclerc kind of all Getting in there too, Perez made a lock-up, although, you know, Leclerc made a mistake and he cost himself the podium position. And Sebastian Vettel, first podium of the year. You know, you wouldn't have thought that that was going to happen um, a while ago, but no, he managed to get one under his belt. Could be the only one he has as a um, parting f- parting gift for Ferrari. You know, that relationship, I guess, between the two hasn't been the best over, over this year. And then, you know, just break down... It, broke down you could see last year so nice you know for the romantics to take you know solace and benefit from this one podium and for Perez as well you know given the fact that he is making way for Vettel next year at Racing Point um and you know the attention is all on his teammate Lance Stroll and everything but Perez was able to get the job done get the points that they need and a well-deserved podium which keeps him in the shop front for other teams although it might be looking unlikely that we see him next year yes sleep that's what I need anyway (laughs) we'll keep moving on but um yeah nothing really coming out of the Red Bull camp about you know Perez or even Nico Hulkenberg at that uh, of that fact so it could be looking unlikely that they're on the grid they might be on the grid next year, which is really sad, especially for someone like Perez. And I talked last week about his credentials and, you know, what he's done over there at Force India and then Racing Point. Um, already talked about Bottas, miserable day. And I think, you know, I'll do a proper post-mortem in the coming weeks about all the championship challenges. Red Bull, you know, licking their wounds. Um, ended up P6 and 7. Uh, Albon scoring some points as well, which was necessary, but... Max just, you know, the opportunity was there and he had a very scrappy day. Uh, Started on the front row of the grid. Conditions that, you know, would suit him to a T. You know, you look at Brazil back in 2016. That was where he made a name for himself, really announced himself. 
um, as being one of those epic drivers like a Senna or like a Schumacher to put in these awesome drives in the wet, but then, you know, he got in trouble almost for crossing the pit lane line at the pit exit during his second pit stop, I think. He avoided any kind of penalty for it, so they must have not found enough evidence to put him in that position. And then, you know, the the spin while chasing Checo as well, I guess, yeah, just not a good day for Max and for Red Bull. And, you know, there'll be some comprehensive words about Red Bull, I'm sure, as well, when I do this little um, analysis of where it all went wrong for the title rivals. For Ferrari, I guess, you know, it kind of was, it was all over before it even began. Um, but, yeah, Red Bull behind, you know, even the McLaren of Carlos Sainz. Underrated drive, I think, for, for Sainz that day. Um, and, you know, McLaren have had it tough the last few races, you know, racing point ahead in the championship now in third because of the podium for, for Checo. You got Renault now um, dropping back a couple of places because you had only a point there for Daniel Ricciardo at the end of the day. But, uh, yeah, a very underrated drive from Carlos Sainz there. Then Lando Norris ended up in 8-2. He made some solid overtakes during the day. There was a bit of a contentious one on his mate George Russell, which uh, Russell himself wasn't very happy about. I'm sure you had heard it on the team radio. And then later in the race, he made an awesome move on Daniel Daniel as well so you know those two are going to be teammates next year and you know Lando already showing them that yeah you know I might be a bit of a joker but I do race pretty hard so great stuff there from Lando double points for the team and you know as far as the uh, standings is concerned we have McLaren still behind racing point but ahead of Renault now so there's only five points separating McLaren and racing point and kudos to Ferrari as well you know they're within six points of Renault now too, so push themselves back into that battle for third in the Constructors' Championship, you know, it's going to be still a bit of a hard one with three races to go and everything, but you know, they have been slowly recovering this season, definitely not still a front runner, but you know, they can put themselves in this midfield battle, which you know, I think will be encouraging for them, because as we know, you know, they're going to be entering some rebuilding and we just can't have that expectation on them for the next couple of years that they're going to be winning and being championship contenders and all that um, for for next year at least, definitely. So, so I'm going to bring it back to Stroll now and, you know, the minute that you give the boy a bit of praise, I think it all comes crashing back down to earth and, you know, he, he put in a solid first half of the race there's no doubt about that and that high of leading the race ended up in a low of finishing down in p9 so as i said before that after that second pit stop his race pretty much unraveled um you know he himself on the radio sounded a bit rattled as well about the tires and just not feeling comfortable having understeer and all that while he was actually leading the race so it all kind of just unraveled for him at that later stage of the race and, you know, potentially a podium, let's say, at best, uh, went to the wayside for young Stroll. So I guess, you know, he showed his potential again, um, but, you know, I'm sorry if we're going to be, um, or if I'm going to be critical at times, but, you know, the real, I guess, litmus test for him next year will be against Sebastian Vettel and seeing if, you know, how he goes up against a four-time world champion who I'm sure in that new environment, it 
you know, Aston Martin is going to be a lot better um, alongside, you know, new teammate and everything. I think there's going to be a bit of a renewed, renewed Seb there. And it was so good to see as much as, you know, I've got my opinions about Ferrari and, you know, how I feel about them. It was good to see at least Seb up there this year and, you know, be able to celebrate one last trip to the podium with the Red team. Um, no capitalization on top 10 qualifyings for the Alfa Romeos. Giovinazzi, as I said, you know, retired from the race with a mechanical failure and that's what brought out the virtual safety car. But he actually crashed on the reconnaissance, reconnaissance lap out of the pits to the grid before the race even starts. So he pulled in a pulled a bit of a Verstappen in Hungary or whatever. And then, yeah, from there, his race was kind of doomed. Kimi... I don't even know where Kimi finished it. Must have been down like 15th or 16th or somewhere. Um, guys like Latifi, Grosjean, they didn't finish the race. They were out. George Russell um, down in 16th, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, it's right in front of me, 16th. So, yep, Kimi 15th <coughs> behind uh, Bottas. So, yeah, you know, in, in a race like that, you would have thought that, you know, Williams could have been up there going for the points and stuff. But, uh wasn't to be in this instance, so, yeah, and as I said before, a bit unreal that in such a hectic race, there was no safety car, so credit to the guys for the way that they drove, and um, that pretty much sums it up, the Turkish Grand Prix, would love to see it back on the calendar, I think, for next year, especially if uh, Vietnam is definitely off, and they do want to fill that gap there, it's hard, because I loved Portimao as well, you know, and I want, I'd have both of those races if I could, but if it's come down to one, I think based off what we saw this year, it'd be nice to, to put Turkey on there and maybe, you know, alternate them if possible in future. But I'm sure we'll get Vietnam back later on. You know, that's uh, something that Liberty Media, I don't think, will let fall by the wayside that easily. So bringing it over then to some reflection about Hamilton matching Shumi and, you know... Hard not to get a bit sentimental when you listen to him. Um, you hear him after the race and everything and um, said something along the lines of, you know, dream the impossible, work for it, chase it, never give up and doubt yourself. And it's such an inspiring line, you know, like you hear that sort of stuff from, you know, not I'm not going to say heroes, but, you know, icons of sport, you know, people who inspire you know kids all over the world and that's what someone like a Hamilton wants to do especially a new generation you know with the whole anti-racism thing and inclusivity as well inspiring people of different backgrounds and just making it a lot more inclusive and less elite you know I hate this whole elite persona about the sport and how it's only a certain demographic that you know watches it or can race in it you know I want it to be open to everyone who who wants to pursue a career in it and you know him as well saying after the race he wants to use this spotlight of becoming a seven-time world champion equaling Michael Schumacher's records and everything to continue pushing for those causes that we talked about you know um, the anti-racism Black Lives Matter um, inclusivity, his Hamilton commission that he set up as well, and that's what you want to see, you want to see it done for the, for good, you want to see people benefit from it, you know, people who are underprivileged, who are struggling out there, and 
the drive and the desire from Hamilton to continue using this as a platform as well might we might see him race on for a few more years in f1 and you know i'm sure people will groan and moan about it (laughs) that you know they want to see him move on they want to see someone else in the mercedes or they want to see another team win or whatever but yeah it's like well you know he's only 35 years old he has the world at his feet he can do whatever he wants and if he wants to continue then that won't be a bad thing because I would love to see someone like a Verstappen or a Leclerc when Ferrari come good or whoever else out there actually go toe-to-toe with Hamilton through a 23 race or 22 race season and see if they can win you know the problem hasn't been the fact that you know there's not enough talent out there to challenge him it's the fact that, you know, we haven't seen teams do a good enough job and, you know, driver mistakes come into it as well as we saw with Sebastian over the years. And Hamilton is the kind of person who has just been kind of faultless throughout the whole season, except for, let's say, you know, the only blemishes that he had this year. And we'll talk about, you know, his whole career to date, perhaps at the end of the year. But for this year, at the moment, his only blemishes really was the... Uh, Austrian Grand Prix where we saw the yellow flags penalty that he had in qualifying the crash with Alexander Albon later in the race and then of course the uh, red flag or sorry the pit lane closed um, message that he ignored or didn't see in Monza as well so otherwise he's had a pretty flawless season he's finished in the points in every race Um, he's got 10 wins out of the 14 races we've had so far in 2020 and then you know Turkey you got to say one of his best performances probably in his whole career where he qualified in sixth was nowhere in the race Mercedes just were nowhere and then mega 50 lap stint on the intermediate tires made his own executive decision that he's not going to pit despite the team saying yeah you should pit I think we should you should pit or whatever it came down to the driver being in control and everything and he basically made the decision that won him the race at the end of the day like he didn't he doesn't need the win you know he didn't need the win to win the championship but he still got it you know and that's what you know I see as the hallmark of um something like a Schumacher would have done Senna Prost the whole thing and you know this is where the frustration kind of comes into it as well where you hear people say, oh, he's got the best car and, you know, he's always had the best car. And I acknowledge the fact that, you know, and I've said this since, you know, last few years, since, you know, we've had this period of domination from from Hamilton, I say, yeah, it is a bit, you know, unfair that he has pretty much always been with a team that's been winning races, you know, he's never been with a team that's in a real period of, downturn and real period of real real the rebuilding he's won races in every single season he's been in since 2007 um even that year with mercedes in 2013 his first year the last year of the v8 era he was still able to win a race there in hungary so he's always been in a competitive car but i think to get to where they're at at the moment you know the level of dominance that they've had it requires you know a lot of input from the driver as well to you know gel with the team you know to go in a direction that they haven't gone before and you know i keep saying 17 and 18 they were years that ferrari were the best they had the best car they should have won the championship but they lost it because you know just poor management driver decisions 
you know, um, them making mistakes, well, Sebastian Vettel making mistakes in particular, um, strategy calls that went awry, pit stops and all that sort of thing. Those one percenters that Mercedes have perfected over the last few years. But then a lot of it also comes down to the driver input too. I mean, you know, one, you know, one could ask the question why Bottas has been unable to win a championship and, you know, an answer to that could be, oh, he's the rear gunner, so they're never going to let him win a championship, but if, you know, seriously, he would he would win more races, he could win on the days that Hamilton doesn't, which, you know, he doesn't always do, you see the likes of Verstappen win, you saw um, in Monza, Pierre Gasly winning an Alpha Tauri this year, for example, so, yeah, you know, a lot of it is Hamilton, you know, it's his ability, it's his, you know, the talent that he's been born with that has seen him go there, you know, once in a generation kind of thing, so, again, you know, we, if you want to talk about who's the greatest of all time or whatever, well, I think you've just got to let that settle in a little bit for a while before we can definitively say it, you know, I'm not denying that Hamilton isn't the greatest of all time, but I feel like, you know, let's let it, you know, sit for a little bit and see how we go, you know, I think if he reaches eight titles, then we'll be like, okay, he's truly in a zone of his own, but matched Michael, we didn't think after 2004 anyone else would be able to do that anytime soon, and it's kind of just surreal still, and I'm just all all for him, you know, he's a great ambassador for the sport, he's matured so much since, you know, back in the day when people like me even used to give him stuff uh, for his, or give him shtick for his uh, lifestyle choices, I'm like, you know, the, the diamond earrings and the nose ring, that's a bit, you know, bit naff or whatever, he's he's a bit of a punce, but, um, you know, he's totally cleaned up his act, he sold his private jet, which is a big, which is a big tick in the box, he's all about the sustainability as well, and just the whole anti-racism thing as well, I think, you know, standing up for the people who don't have a voice is important, and, you know, using sport as his platform to do so as well, I think, you know, you couldn't ask for a better thing in this day and age where people are so critical of every move, you know, somebody makes, you know, because of social media and everything, so, you know, if you want to talk just about the sport and, you know, his driving ability, well, you know, this year has been quite flawless from him, he hasn't made any mistakes, and, you know, you could put him in a, in a, in a Ferrari or a Red Bull and see how he goes, I th- I would love to see that, and for him to prove that, um, he doesn't make mistakes, and then, yeah, go back to, to 2017 and 18, when he was driving the Diva, that was the um, Mercedes, uh, he still managed to win the championship because he was more consistent, so yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of had writer's block earlier in the week, I was going to write this all out and do a proper article and everything, but um, I just had this really, really bad block, and you know, I might explore it again next week, so stay tuned for that one, I'm sure I'll, I'll post it and get the links up and everything for it, but yeah, you know, in reflection, it's just, it's hard not to give the guy, it's hard not to, and what am I trying to say, it's easy to, just, just don't give him crap for it, you know, he's done everything he needs to, he's reached that level now, we've got to accept it, we can't just keep giving him uh, flack for it, but at the same time, yeah, you know, you can, the whole, um, he has always been in a good team thing, it would have been nice to see him start off with a 
with a team lower down the order but going straight to McLaren it was like yeah you've you've got that so anyway we'll leave it at that I'm, I'm starting to ramble a little bit so you know I'm not gonna just continue going bleh bleh into the microphone I'll bring it over to MotoGP then to wrap things up for this week have a bit of a long-ish MotoGP chat this week because you know I kind of just give it a couple of minutes um, the last few weeks, but yeah, Juan Mir, champion, you know, who would have thought at the start of the year that that was going to happen, so we had Franco Morbidelli win the last lap thriller there in Valencia against the Miller himself, the Thriller Miller, Jack Miller finishing second, and only seventh required for Mir to secure the title, and you know, in what has been such a crazy year for MotoGP, of course, Mark Marquez going down early, um, and not being in there, you would have thought that, you know, your Fabio Quattararo's, your Maverick Vinales, Andrea De Vizioso's would be all over this championship, but not, it was not that at all, you know, it was so inconsistent throughout the year, you know, so many different winners that we had, and what we've got out of it is Suzuki's first championship in 20 years, so last time they won, of course, was at the turn of the millennium back in 2000 with Kenny Roberts Jr. beating then a rookie Valentino Rossi on in his rookie season back in 2000 and you know Valentino still racing today and thankfully he was back on the grid there after the couple of races he missed with COVID so Suzuki they could secure the triple as well for this year they've got the constructor championship I think wrapped up but the team's championship they just need to beat Ducati in the final race this coming weekend there at Portimao. That'll be interesting seeing the bikes go around that circuit. And <laughs> we saw the F1 cars get a little bit loose and crazy there. So how bikes will go will be interesting to see. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be a first. And you know, congratulations Suzuki. Uh, who would have thought that they would have stepped up this year? to fill that void of Marquez and Honda as well, you know, Honda's form has not been that great this year, you know, Yamaha, you've got four quality riders there at Ducati as well, you know, when you combine the Pramac team with um, Jack Miller and um, Peko Bagnaia there with the factory riders, Petrucci and, and Davizioso, you know, and Suzuki's come out and done a good job, and you look at Alex Rins's season too, the fact that... Um, he could secure second in the championship too next weekend. He's four points behind Frankie. So, you know, Suzuki 1-2 in the championship would be absolute domination. And considering Rins actually missed some races at the start of the year with an injury, that is just incredible. So, where do you go now? Like, you can do a bit of an analysis and look back at where it all went wrong for the rivals. Well, Quattararo, two DNFs in a row, I think, and now he's dropped to P5 in the standings. And this is the guy who dominated the first two races of the season in Hareth. He had another win later on in the year too. And they've actually been the, you know, they've won the most races this year. Seven wins for the Iwata Factory. Um, Quattararo's won three races. You had three race wins now for Morbidelli, two after Valencia this weekend, and then a win for Maverick Vinales too, but where's it all gone wrong? It's just been super inconsistent, they've actually had a bike that, I don't know who's been worse this year bike-wise, Ducati or, or Yamaha, I think Yamaha, they've had reliability problems, engine has been a big issue this year, and you know, Rossi himself said 
earlier this week that, you know, if they want to improve next year, they're going to have to get serious about their testing program. And I guess testing as well has been limited this year due to COVID. They were, they did have Jorge Lorenzo in their team this year to do some testing or whatever. And the only test that he did get to do um, at Portimao uh, a few weeks ago, he was about four seconds off the pace. So no wonder that, you know, they've now dumped him and gone to Cal Crutchlow next year. So Cal Crutchlow, of course, not going to be racing for LCR Honda. That seat went to Alex Marquez a while back. And they've also confirmed Dakar Nagagami to stay at that team as well. So getting a guy like Callan, I think, will be really good for Yamaha. He's very brutally honest. He won't hold anything back. So I think they're going to need that kind of feedback if they are going to change. You know, I said that even about Rossi when um, he was going to change crew chiefs for this year. Um, I think it was a Davide Munoz. He's got now um, replacing uh, Gal Basira, who was there for a few years. And the fact that, you know, Rossi had surrounded himself basically with yes-men and that wasn't, they that weren't going to tell him the actual flaws of what they were doing. So I think someone like Cal is going to be really good for them. It's going to be a make or break next, make or break year next year, you know, if they can't get the job done. You've got Quattararo stepping up to the factory team. Um, Morbidelli had a, has had a sensational season. And mind you, he's actually on a year old spec Yamaha, the 2019 spec. So. Um, how he's going to go with a full factory spec bike, um, current spec for next year, and also Rossi as well, you know, is he going to have some fire in the belly left as well, because it's been a dismal year this year, he, you know, sat out a few races with COVID, as I said, only the one podium to show for it as well, and just generally, you know, qualifying, he's out in Q1 um, races, you know, not really been in that lead group at all, so it's going to be a big year for them next year to try and turn their fortunes around and you know looking at you know where others are at you know dismal dovey i guess could be the new nickname for him this year after you know he had that one win back in austria you know when they announced that he would be leaving to caddy and everything but the rest of the year has just been absolutely dismal you know this was this year to finally win a championship with no mark marquez there but um he's confirmed that he's going to take a sabbatical next year um, not doing any testing programs either. You got Andre Inoni. Now we found out that he's got a four-year ban being upheld by the um, anti-doping authorities, World Anti-Doping Authorities. So he won't be on the Aprilia. They haven't announced yet who is going to be on the Aprilia next year again, um, alongside Alicia Spargo. But um, there are a few names floating around there. I don't think Bradley Smith will be doing it. So and they had Lorenzo Savadori or something, um, I'm not sure who that guy is, but he's been r- racing that bike the last couple of weekends, but, um, you know, some good names stepping up to MotoGP next year, of course, Jorge Martin going over to Pramac Racing um, with, uh, uh, I think, uh, Johan Zarco, sorry, he's um, moving up in the Ducati world, and then at the Sponsorama team, the Vinci Ducati team, a couple of Sky VR46 um, Academy riders, one of them being Luca Marini, so Rossi's half-brother, so it'd be good to see the two brothers on the grid together, and um, Anea Bastianini too, so some great names stepping up there, and yeah, it's been such a crazy season this year, and you know, like, people can say what they want to about, you know, oh, it's been devalued because Marquez is not on the grid, I think not having Marquez on the grid 
Um, it's it's a big loss, of course, but not having him on the grid, I think we kind of saw this year who the real contenders are, you know, like, yeah, you know, you would have thought the Yamahas and stuff would be up there, but they've, Yamaha, Ducati, they both had disappointing seasons, and, you know, up until, up until you know, a couple of weekends ago, Mir hadn't actually won a race this year, he was leading the championship, but without a race victory, so... I'm glad he got the victory under his belt because it would have been an interesting season if he won without actually winning a race at all. I'm sure, you know, it's happened before or whatever, but, um, you know, nice for him to actually uh, win one and everything. So he's only still won the one race, but, you know, he's just had the more consistent season and that's ultimately what you need to do to win the championship. So, you know, with the kind of form that we saw this year from, from Yamaha, from Ducati and all, if... Marquez was on the grid for example like how much worse would it look for them the fact that they are nowhere near if Marquez had a good season you know if he won you know let's say out of the what 13 14 races we have if he won seven of them or six of them even on his own you know how good would it look for those guys there so you know it's an important time for them to you know get their act together of course um, in preparation for next year because yeah of course Marquez will be back next year who knows, you know, what his fitness will be like, you know, I kind of was thinking about it the other day, I'm like, you know, what if after this injury, Marquez doesn't come back 100%, you know, what if this is the best, the best is now behind Marquez kind of thing, it'd be kind of scary that he just kind of came and went with his um, awesome form and his uh, championship winning form, and then he kind of just stops there on, on six titles, and I'm sure a certain Mr. Rossi would be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that his his record is going to still be uh, with him for a little bit longer. But, um, you know, Marcus is a freak and I'm sure he'll be back at his best next year. So, yeah, you know, that rounds out MotoGP. Well, you know, we've got one race this weekend to go there at uh, Portimao. So hopefully we can get a good one in for that to end the season. But, um, yeah, it's it's all coming to an end this year almost. Um, three races to go in F1, three late ones, three early morning ones for me, so that's exciting, a lot of coffee, and, uh, a lot of, um, yawns during the day, I'm sure, with us going back to, uh, work on Mondays too, so, very excited about that, so, yeah, that, that pretty much does it, I think, and just before I go quickly as well, just wanna, you know, if there's anyone out there listening in Adelaide, um, thoughts are with you guys or in the South Australia in general thinking of you guys you know been through the lockdown here just come out of it here in Melbourne so know how it feels and everything and please you know all be good because wouldn't mind coming over for New Year's in Adelaide you know just to get out of Melbourne so yeah you know um, everyone hope everyone's just staying safe just in general I know Europe as well have had to throw some of their countries back into lockdown as well so you know, hope you guys are managing okay, you know, it's, um, I had to say it, but it's like something that we're all getting used to now, you know, going, going into shutdown and everything, but hopefully it's not something that we, um, continue doing for the time to come. Anyway, I think that's about it, um, that's, I've reached my limits, I think, for this evening, I just want to go lie down, watch some Seinfeld or something, or maybe some Alan Partridge, and, uh, yeah, just catch some Z's, and, uh, we'll see you guys next week, take it easy.